Hey everybody, welcome to episode 10 of Two Views Movies Podcast. Welcome back to Two Views Movies Podcast, everybody. A podcast by two guys who love watching movies almost as much as we love arguing about them. My name is Garrett. And I'm Carson. And today's episode, we are going to be talking about Red Sparrow. Red Sparrow is a movie where a prima ballerina, played by Jennifer Lawrence, faces a bleak and uncertain future after she suffers an injury that ends her career. She soon turns to Sparrow School, a secret intelligence service that trains exceptional young people to use their minds and bodies as weapons. She emerges as the most dangerous Sparrow after completing the sadistic training process. As she comes to terms with her new abilities, she meets a CIA agent who tries to convince her that he is the only person she can trust. Wow, that's a mouthful. Yes. One of the earlier episodes, Annihilation, had literally like eight-word blurb, and this one pulls out an entire novel. It's directed by Francis Lawrence probably don't know who he is i didn't either i think we talked about it a little bit on our preview episode he's got under his belt constantine water for elephants three of the hunger games movies and i am legend and about 800 music videos oh really yes i didn't know this from britney to beyonce oh yeah wow that's interesting i didn't know that as far as cast goes we've got jennifer lawrence joel edgerton and a little bit of jeremy irons I mean, there's other people you'll recognize in there. There's a lot of people from like HBO, Netflix shows and stuff that I caught, but... The King Beyond the Wall? Yes, The King Beyond the Wall was one of them. Yeah. If you watch Dark on Netflix, uh, there was somebody from there. Anyways, nobody else really worth diving into in terms of cast. You know, I'm not quite sure where to start on this. It was long. I'll say that. It was long. It was long and it felt long. People call it a slow burn. It was a very, very slow burn. And, you know, I will back up a little bit. Straight away, I have a huge problem with the description that they've thrown out there. So we go back to that blurb that I read, which I always snag off of either IMDb or Letterboxd or something. It says that she completed the sadistic training process. No, she didn't. She didn't graduate of a sparrow. She didn't finish. She gets abruptly taken away when they need her for a, a mission. And the whole headmistress lady is like, I don't think you're ready or something to that effect. But she didn't complete her training. Eventually she did. What? Well, at, at through the, the course the of the yeah, but what I, that was one of the things that kind of threw me off about this movie in terms of expectations was I thought like okay we're gonna see this really cool training program and she's gonna come out like this awesome person on the end and that's really not even remotely what happened no and even her why she got into it was weird too yeah everything about it was weird in the sense that all the action scenes we mentioned this for Death Wish in a previous episode but all the action scenes of Red Sparrow are in the trailer. Almost all. Yeah, there's some that you couldn't show, but I guess my point was more like ratio-wise. Like, you see a two-and-a-half-hour runtime, you see a trailer with some action scenes, you know it's a spy movie, you think, oh, I'm just getting enough to get me excited for this. We talked about before how, oh, this could be a Black Widow movie. I'm surprised Marvel hasn't been all over this. Yeah, this is not a Black Widow movie. It is very not a Black Widow movie. And I know we're saying that partially because of, you had said this to me, it's a hard R. It is a very hard I mean, it leans heavily on sex and ultraviolence. But even if you took that away and toned down the sex, toned down the ultraviolence. It's not a Black Widow movie. It's not a Black Widow movie. So I can understand why maybe the director would have come out and been like, yeah, this isn't Black Widow. But you you couldn't really know that based on the trailer. Again, I know the point of a trailer is to get butts in the seat. And they sold it like a Black Widow movie. Yeah. And I'm sure they did that for a reason. But it was 
lies lies and false propaganda so it starts off the movie she's which i I didn't like the way the director did the beginning scene it was cutting between joel and then her as a ballerina Mm -hmm. Uh, it was it was very abrupt cuts back and forth and so she's dancing and then her partner breaks her leg oh yeah he chong lees her right he snaps her leg in half right so they're on stage and he leaps into the air and then just, just snaps her leg right and that's why her character needs to do something else. Right. And then her uncle puts her into this program in order to ensure a doctor for her mom. Right. And so that's the only way that they're going to make sure that she has enough money uh, yeah. is to... Right. Her mom was sick and basically her house and her mom were taken care of by the ballerina company or whatever. But now that she can no longer dance, she's going to get tossed out. Her mom won't have health care, et cetera, et cetera. And so her uncle but the uncle's in- like the head of... I don't remember what they call it. Frog, can we just call it the KGB? Okay. <laughs> For the sake of this podcast. Okay. But he doesn't send her straight to the school, right? He offers her something to do on the side to basically seduce uh, a politician and try to swap his phone out. Uh, typical spy stuff. Oh, replace his phone with this phone. Yeah, he ends up raping her. Yeah, stuff and goes south in that. Yes. <laughs> then they murder him on top of her. Yes. So he is currently raping her, and then they strangle him, bloods all over her. Right. And then they rush her out. And so now that she's witnessed this, she has no choice but to join the Sparrows. Because otherwise they'll kill her. Uh, or they're killer. She has yeah. two choices. Yes. yes I guess. <laughs> and so that's how she gets in. You get this sense that she's this innocent person put into this situation that she didn't want to be in. But then the one scene that threw me off and that whole, that whole vibe is she finds out that the ballerina partner that broke her leg did it on purpose because he's in love with her understudy. Yep. And she goes in there and kills them both in the shower. No, she doesn't kill him. It broke her jaw and did some other stuff. She didn't kill him. They mentioned that he, she broke the person's jaw. Oh, it looked like, I mean, she was beating him oh, down yeah. and they, they uh, cut away. I had the same thought as you. I thought she killed him. And then they said, I'm like, oh, okay, I guess she didn't kill him. Yeah, but it, it took this innocent ballerina thrown into this Red Sparrow program of, oh, she couldn't help you yeah. know, a victim of circumstance into, she's got a real dark side to her. Right. Which I thought that took away from her progress through the Red Sparrow. Yeah. Um, I, I don't. I didn't see it that way. I took it as there's something there that would make her the best Sparrow. Okay. Because otherwise... She already had it in her to where she yeah, should step right. up to the she plate. Didn't, maybe didn't know she had it, but it would be weird if you took like this... I shouldn't say weird, but if you took this really innocent ballerina who had never thrown a fist in her entire life during a fight or whatever, and then magically she's the greatest sparrow, I, I can see well, why they would plant that nugget of she's got a little bit of something inside of her where she's gonna she can do this stuff. So the sparrow training is very sexual. Yes. And so it's using your body to to get whatever you want. It's more psychological warfare. It's right. not I mean they show some gun shooting, but it's you know, not sparring. It's not yeah. uh climbing walls and jumping out of helicopters. There's one scene of people shooting guns at ranges as they run by, but it's entirely manipulation, psychological warfare. Yeah, it's finding out what the person wants and then using that. Yep. That whole process again, that they, they, they take a lot of things. A little bit further than uh, than some people are comfortable with watching yes. on, on screen. Yep. Uh, so be be wary of that. But if you're right. watching this, you've already seen it because we have a bunch of spoilers coming. <laughs> right. It really comes down to this is a spy movie with a mole somewhere. So somebody in the Russian government, right, is original, very original, right? Is, yeah, is leaking information to the Americans and or the British government. They're trying to find out. They use Jennifer Lawrence to find out who this spy is. Mm-hmm. The the one component the mole is excuse right, me. right. The one component though that you missed was that this mole has been working with Joel Edgerton. That's yes. how he comes into this. So there's 
Joel Edgerton meeting up with this mole and he thinks they're about to get busted, pops off a few rounds to distract the cops. And so the mole gets free, but then Joel Edgerton gets kicked out of Russia or he leaves. So he doesn't get in trouble, but he comes back. So anyway, the connection with Joel Edgerton is, is the mole. It's, it's his source that he's trying to protect. It's his source. And he's had the source for a long time. Right. And he feels uh, obligated to protect this person from his own government, as well as from the Russians. Right. When he shoots off the guns, it was to let him, let his mole yes. partner get away. And he was so willing he was, to give up take, himself. Yeah. Take one for the team yes. in order to protect his source. Yeah. So maybe CIA agents are like this, but I view them as more cold. Yeah. Um, and he, it doesn't make for a good movie. It, it doesn't. It's just true. But I don't think he makes for a very good. He's a very sentimental CIA agent, yeah. which I don't think makes good for a CIA agent. No. I mean, sure, there's a human component of that, that where everybody's going to be sentimental to somebody. But throughout the entire movie, he's very soft. Yes. Towards everybody. So the, the counter argument to that would be that maybe he wasn't soft. Maybe he realized that the value of that mole was more than his value. So he, well, he, he said he was protecting him and his protect him because he, he's grown to appreciate him or sure. something like that. Yeah. And it, then he did the same thing to her. Right. Which is why they had him do that. Right. They had to foreshadow that he's not this cold CIA agent. He's capable of having emotions and falling in love with, and I, and I get the CIA agents are people too, but but <laughs> right. it, it seems like that would that would take away from his role in yeah. whatever they're supposed to do. Oh, I'm they, sure they breed that out of him, right? You know? Well, and when they give Jennifer Lawrence the lie detector test later in the movie, they ask her questions about emotions, right? So clearly, that's a component of being a spy. Yeah, but yeah. That, but that was the Americans doing that, wasn't it? Yes, it was the Americans yeah. doing it. Yeah, I'm just saying that if they did that to her, they would have done it to Joel through the recruiting process or whatever as this movie goes along it's very very slow through the first two-thirds of the movie i think two-thirds i thought it was slow through the whole thing i thought it picked up towards the end i mean okay maybe relatively speaking but like in the context of normal movies it's all slow yeah it, it was so slow to me that and part of the reason it was so slow is because i mean i i guess i don't know what they wanted us to focus on. Did they want us to focus on Jennifer Lawrence and or Joel Edgerton? Or did they want us to focus on the plot? Because what I felt like was, so sometimes in good spy movies or good movies in general, directors will have like a sleight of hand trick, right? They will present you something, a mystery, a question that needs to be solved, some kind of problem. And then they'll creatively distract you with their right hand while they're doing something with their left hand. In this case, the distractions were all the sex, the violence, the relationship to between Jennifer Lawrence and Joel Edgerton, all that stuff's happening on the side. But they did it so much that it didn't become sleight of hand to me. It became just total distraction to the point that I completely forgot we were supposed to be looking for, for the mole. Right. And usually my brain's working during a movie and like, okay, who's the mole? Who, who am I? I, I want to guess it before it gets to the end. So I can be one of those jerks that goes, oh, I knew it before it was over, which I'm about to be one of those right. jerks. But in this movie, it was like so distracting when, so it ends up being that Jeremy Irons is the mole and he just comes right out and says it in a hospital to Jennifer Lawrence. And when he said that, I was like, Oh yeah, I forgot that I was supposed to be caring about this mole because so much other stuff had been going on that they completely lost my train of thought. Any thread back to that question for me was gone. Yeah, because she had like other missions that interwove with the mole investigation type thing. And so it you're, got you're, real murky. 
you're you're really distracted again that she's even supposed to be finding this this mole and that even you know for it was like oh yeah they did talk about that at, yeah. at, one, at one point but before jeremy they did mention the the mole before jeremy irons revealed himself yeah. and i'm sitting there i was like we have only met three russians <laughs> yeah uh, so yeah. We, we've met uh, the king beyond the wall mm-hmm. who's in charge of everything yep we who's looking for the mole mm-hmm. so we can almost rule him out right we have jeremy irons mm-hmm. and then we have her uncle right it's one of those three. Right. Probably not the first. Right. Her uncle's the one who put her into this. Right. So it's probably not going to be him. We got Jeremy Irons left. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, we have, that's it. Right. We have, we have Jeremy Irons. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, he, so he's the mole. He reveals himself so that no one figures that out. He just reveals himself as the mole. Right. I'm like, okay. Wait, is that the first time that's ever happened in a spy movie? That no one finds out. He just says, Aha. He just comes out. Uh, it's me. Hey. It's, hey, guys. I'm the mole. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, he mole. doesn't do it to everybody. He does it to Jennifer Lawrence. But right. still, it's just this really weird, hey, it's me. So at the end, they, they make a trade for the mole. Yeah. And as soon as they put the, the bag over oh, yeah. the guy's head, they go, okay, you have to identify who this mole is. Yeah. And I'm like, there's a bag over Jeremy Iron's head. So I know that's no longer Jeremy Irons. Yes. And so that, that's clear that there's a double cross here. Right. As soon as you put the bag on the guy's yeah. head. And so that's, that's actually your uncle. <laughs> that, right. So that's what I did too. So I, I didn't, because I'd kind of lost track of the mole. I didn't do your process of elimination thing until that moment. It's like, okay, there's nobody else it can be. Right. That we've met. She, she's trying to trick basically everybody into thinking that somebody's the mole so she can... I don't, I don't even really want to go into trying to describe it because I'm not sure I can fully remember it. But basically, she wants to keep Jeremy Irons alive because he can continue to be a mole. They can continue to work together. It doesn't somehow string Joel Edgerton out to dry or something like that. I, I, don't, I don't even remember. But you knew something was coming, and the only option at that point was for it to be the uncle. And I remember thinking, okay, it's going to be the uncle, but I have no idea how she did it. But I didn't even care at that point. And they did go back and show us the flashbacks of how she did it. And I had remembered a few things that she had done. But, like, I wasn't following the bank account setup. Because you mentioned this just a minute ago. They took this American chief of staff plot line who was going to sell Russia's secrets to – or sell American secrets to the Russians. And they slammed that together, like, halfway through the movie or three-fourths the way through the movie – I got what they were trying to do at a high level, but detail-wise, I felt like I was just kind of swimming in it. Like, she was throwing out numbers. I need 250000 I need 30000 She's doing this. And I was like, I don't know if it's just because I was just kind of worn out and didn't care or whether it was just presented sloppily. But either way, I was just – and you really didn't even need to know any of it, right? You could have – I think you maybe could have taken some of that out. Well, it was all on her setting up her uncle. So her uncle's the one who put her into this program or the point of no return yeah. uh, where she had to do this. Her uncle also was a bit of a skis bag. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, well he, he he tortured her and yeah. then also wanted to, wanted yeah. to do sexual things to her yes. also. She's You knew that that relationship was going south right. even though he was her uncle. They did explain her process throughout the movie of why she wanted the 30000 basically to set up the uncle to show that he was taking money from the Americans in this account and fingerprints and whatnot. So she was doing that throughout the movie, right. but uh, you didn't know. So she had this plan all along, even before she knew who the actual mole was, I guess. Yes. It was setting it up her seem. uncle to do that. And so that part was, again, we didn't have another choice of who it could have been. And the question I have for you is, we know who we know. Mm-hmm. Would you want the mole to be somebody we had never seen? Oh, honestly, it got to the point where I just didn't care. Well, well, just take it in general. Do you always have to see the mole previously in movies or do you just have them appear at the end of, well, that guy's the mole and not that you were trying to find the mole? Yeah, (laughs) uh, it's probably a lose-lose situation. If you haven't set up enough characters where there's possibilities, 
then yeah, I think people would see that and be like, who is this guy? Why do I care that he was a mole? What relevance did he have? So yeah, I mean, I guess it needs to be somebody you've been exposed to. Otherwise, it feels like a cop-out and cheap, and why did why should you care? But it was just done poorly in this case, I guess. Yeah. And again, they didn't give enough options. But no. so, so my mind was, uh, and I didn't know if they were going to go that route of just some random guy. She she found the mole. Okay, right. so she more accomplished her mission opposed to the mystery of who the mole was. Yeah. That's where I was wondering if it was going to go. But we've only met, me watching as many movies as I do, I go, we've only, <laughs> we've only met three Russians. Right. <laughs> options are limited. Yeah. Clearly, it wasn't the, the other guy in the, the Red Sparrow program who was brand new. And so sure. he, hasn't, he hasn't been the mole for years and then just now going through the Red Sparrow program. So right. it's like... Again, we're we're very limited on our options. Jeremy Irons was pretty easy, and then uh, her uncle was uh, who she was betraying, which, again, was pretty easy. Yeah, I agree. So we've touched a lot on the sex and violence. I don't care about that stuff. Like, it never, I'm not one of those people that's bothered by it. I think it can actually work. In this movie, It you have to have something offset it, though, right? You have to have something that you care about or something that you're invested in or interested in to kind of offset the harshness of the sex and the ultraviolet and not just sex it's not like it's two people who like each other that are doing it. half the time that sex is used as a weapon in this movie right my, my feeling with this movie was i never had anything else to grasp onto or latch onto so then when i saw jennifer lawrence like continuously getting beat up or raped or whatever joel edgerton getting tortured kind of reminded me of watching eight millimeter back in the day i was just sort of i feel kind of grimy and dirty and there's nothing I didn't even really feel bad for Jennifer Lawrence. You know what I mean? Like she's getting tortured and I'm like, uh, okay. I mean, I don't want to see a person tortured, but I'm also just, I don't feel anything about this movie other than I'm just watching somebody get tortured. And that's where the disconnect from her attacking those other two people came. Uh, I think you would have felt more for her if she was in this situation, you know, uh, unwillingly. Right. Uh, and didn't have that inner anger already in her and so if she didn't beat up the guy who broke her leg right and his his girlfriend then i think you may have had this more innocence feel to her yeah. you felt felt you know worse about her situation i mean yeah putting her through what she did right you know, nobody wants wants that but right. i think again it, it lost some of that yeah and it wasn't intense, really. Like, usually spy movies, you're, oh, man, what's going to happen? What's going to end up? There's a couple scenes where it's more intense than the rest of the movie, but not to the point where I felt like I have in other movies. It just very flatlined for me for some reason. It didn't do enough to ratchet up. You know, my heartbeat never really got going. I was just sort of kind of laid back in my seat. All right, come on. Okay, this is happening. Okay, this is kind of cool, and it's over. And, you know, it, it didn't really have peaks and valleys. It just sort of stayed right in the Flat. middle yeah, yeah. No, so I, I agree i will say though that it, it, it was made really well when i watch movies i have other movies that they remind me of that pop in my head um eastern promises was one that this popped in my head the russia thing is blatantly obvious but it was sort of gangster driven but it was a little violent in that kind of way too so it reminded me of that I got a huge girl with a dragon tattoo vibe out of this movie. Um, they were attached to this. So David Fincher, who made that, and Rooney Mara, who played um, Lisbeth in that movie, they were going to make this at one point. But it was made like a David Fincher movie to me, even to the point where like, I can see similarities in how it's told to Gone Girl, Zodiac, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. He makes very sort of procedural movies, and they're shot in a certain kind of way. This was very much shot in that way. Well, you mentioned that in our, our March preview that they were attached to this at yeah. one point. And, and I'm glad 
Rooney wasn't in this because the only other thing that I've seen her in is Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And yeah. I felt like I don't want her to get yeah. you know, typecasted and raped and beaten and <laughs> right. you know, and I'm, I'm like, right. okay, why would you just assume that's your go to girl if you have a script like this right. of let's put her in this terrible situation? To, yeah. It's like I was like, I'm glad that there's I completely agree. And that that was the two things I said about Dragon Tattoo. It felt like David Fincher and both of those movies have female protagonists who just get run through the ringer right and then uh you put jennifer i mean jennifer lawrence i don't think she's smiled in a movie and that that's why i went through the only thing that i think <laughs> yeah. that she may have smiled in which i'm assuming she smiles in is silver lang's playbook which i can't even picture it and so i looked uh some pictures of of jennifer lawrence and when she does smile it looks so weird that's funny because i'm i'm not used to it so everything from hunger games to x-men to to uh, winter, winter's bone, passenger, everything that I that I've seen her in, she does. She's, this obviously, yeah, doesn't smile at all. So when I did see her on the red carpet, she was smiling. It's like, like yeah. that looks creepy, you know, because <laughs> right. it, it, not creepy but wrong, yeah. you know. And and I have to see Silver Lang's playbook again just to see right. if, if she does much in there. But she's like, no, that's. Uh, I, I get your point. I mean, clearly, obviously, she has literally smiled. But when you run through roles in your head and you picture her in your head. Everything's stoic. Everything. It's not even rage or anger or anything. It's just there. Just, yeah, kind of blank-faced, right? And, you know, but I will say she's a horrendous crier. Oh, her cry is really annoying. She didn't really do it in Red Sparrow. Uh, she cried a little bit, but she has this, like, wail that she does that is, I don't know, not a good crier. It, it's one <laughs> of those that you just, you know when she's crying, like, oh, that's... Uh. See, and I haven't seen Passengers. No, no, you're not. You're not missing much. Oh, I, I know, none of that's what you said, but I love Chris Pratt. So well, so gonna... do I. But it's not a good movie. <laughs> yeah. You you let me know when you watch that one, and we'll talk about that. It's it's not all that good. So it's funny you had a revelation about Jennifer Lawrence in this movie, and I had a revelation about Joel Edgerton. About halfway through this movie, it dawned on me that you could replace Joel Edgerton with Jeremy Renner in every movie, and vice versa. And nothing would change. See, I, I don't get that because I think you can no, make that statement. It's entirely. For, it's not even a lot of people. I'm even willing to say it's not a theory. It's a fact. <laughs> Jeremy, like I would challenge people who listen to this to think of a Joel Edgerton movie, like right now, Warrior. I guarantee the people listening to this podcast, sixty percent of them just thought of a Jeremy Renner movie. <laughs> I asked them for Joel Edgerton, they thought of Jeremy Renner. Well, and to be honest, if you say those names, I don't think most people even know who they are. I know. Uh, but if I described him like, oh, hey, you know that one guy who was in the town and he plays Hawkeye? Did you really like him in Warrior? They'd be like, yeah. Yeah, he was really good in Warrior. Standing Warrior is the, the, one, the one thing that you can no. move him you're out just, of. You're just saying that because you like the movie Warrior. I love the movie that Warrior. That could have been Jeremy Renner and nothing would have changed. If we went back in time and cast Jeremy Renner, nothing would change. I don't think Jeremy Renner is a ultimate fighting champion. Neither is Joel Edgerton. Sure he is. I no. saw it in Warrior. Right. And you would have seen it with Joel Edgerton. I mean, damn it, uh, <laughs> Jeremy <I> Renner. <laughs> See, it's I, real. I don't. I don't agree. I agree with with most of it. But I think you can put other actors in these like this same role. But it's not just this role. I'm saying every role. Like, put Joel Edgerton in the town. Nothing changes. Put Joel Edgerton as Hawkeye. Nothing changes. Put Black Mass. Joel Edgerton's in Black Mass. Put Jeremy Renner in Black Mass. Nothing changes. This is a rock solid theory. Rock solid. <laughs> I'll, uh, our, our next uh, Hawkeye movie. I'll uh, 
I'll disprove this. So, so once uh, <laughs> that's probably not the best role to use in all honesty, because anybody could be Hawkeye. Anybody could be Hawkeye. But I'm saying the next time this this comes up where we see them, I'll uh, I'll have a better research this argument. But I don't. I do not agree with you because especially Jimmy Renner is not. And I, and I use Warrior because that's my favorite uh, Joel Edgerton movie. And do you think Jeremy Renner could be an ogre? And uh, <laughs> yes, okay, but, but, right? Uh, anybody, about bright and bright. Yes, yeah. yes. I mean, there's a lot of movies that, that they could be, but yeah. I think you can say that you're only discrediting the one because it's your fa- one of your favorite movies. It, it is, it is. But, <laughs> but yeah. I'm not wrong. It no. can still be but your see, favorite so movie, I, and the theory can be right. So I liked Joel ever since I saw him in King Arthur. Okay, he was one of the. One of the knights, I just liked his character in there. He wasn't in much, but he was there. And then, of course, he's Uncle Owen in the right. prequels, which doesn't help his case. But then, no. but Warrior is really what, what I, I latch on to, and that's what I put put my stock into him as an actor. And I want to develop a quiz, like an online quiz, and have people <laughs> go to it, and I'll give the title of the movie, and you tell me whether it was Jeremy Renner or Joel Edgerton that was in it. It couldn't be online. It had to be something where I just ask people, like a survey, like I stand out at the movie theater and ask I don't think people. people know their real names. Okay, I'll show them pictures. You'd have to say... I'll show them pictures. Who was in this movie? You'd have to say, because it's like, oh, that's Hawkeye. And I think that's the only thing that... Or, right. or the one guy who right. took over Born yeah, for that like, one movie. I'd be like, who's in Hurt Locker? And hold up a picture of Joel Edgerton and Jeremy Renner. I bet, I bet you would get... Oh, you can find people that have even seen. You know what Locker. I'm saying. You're picking. You're not. You're not focusing on the right things. They are interchangeable. Like I want to go do one of those face morph things too. They, they don't the have. Neither one of them have a big blockbuster movie. No. Outside of Hawkeye, they're both kind of short, little on the stocky side. They both feel like they could pull off a Boston accent. We've heard Renner do it. It's. They're the same. They are the same. <laughs> All right, so aside from that really accurate scientific theory that I have, I landed at a two and a half on this. The casting's fine. I wouldn't really change anything about the casting. It's just boring. It's more about how the plot develops. It needed a lot more action, and it didn't need to be an action movie. It didn't need to be Mission Impossible. It just needed more suspense. I guess if you're not going to do action, give me suspense. I didn't get either one of those. So I again, back to that emotionally flatline piece. And then, like I said earlier, the other big thing is that if you're going to have somebody go through the stuff that both Joel Edgerton and Jennifer Lawrence go through, you need something to offset it, to latch onto so that it just, the, the sex and the ultra violence and all that stuff just doesn't drag you down. You got to have something to keep you even keel a little bit. And it was lopsided in this movie for me. Okay. So I was a little higher. I gave it a three. So it was, it was better than average. Again, it was shot really well. I thought it was acted really well. The plot issues that I had in there was, Again, it was predictable and kind of muddled and slow. It was something that I would recommend people seeing as long as they're prepared for it. I had different expectations coming into it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that uh, I don't know if I'm making up for that in my rating. If I didn't like it as much because I was expecting, again, more of a Black Widow type yeah. movie. If I watch it again, I, I probably could be lower than that. Yeah. But, but I did enjoy, again, the performances that were there. And mm-hmm. again, it was it was shot really well. The only thing that I had an issue with on the... On that side of it was was the beginning, I, the back and forth between the ballerina and then Joel. It, it, it seemed too abrupt and yeah. it kept losing me. But the rest of the movie, I thought, was done really well. If you like, again, it's it's a hard R. Yeah, there's definitely some disturbing things going on in this movie that yeah. that you haven't seen before. But unless you've seen Dragon Tattoo, unless you've seen, <laughs> unless you've seen that, yes, I, I gave it a three. I think again, it's above average movie. Yeah, just know what you're getting into before you go. So yeah, don't I, go see it with your mom. <laughs> right. I think I 
I think it might have been a three if it lost about 20 to 30 minutes for me. It, yep. it got to be a grind for me to get through. Like there was a couple times where I thought it was about over and it kind of went a little bit longer. So uh, we're not too far off on that. Uh, it's splitting hairs between a two and a half and a three, I think. Yeah. So again, I think we're both saying you should see it, but know what you're, uh, know what you're getting into. Yes, definitely know what you're getting into and know that Joel Edgerton and Jeremy Renner are the same person. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That does it for this episode. Make sure to follow us online at twoviewsmovies.com, like us and subscribe to the podcast. We'll catch you next time.